name is James McNeil. I am originally from the mountains of North Carolina. I originally joined the military to have something with a future. I was tired of having a job that didn't have a future. So I was looking for something that I could grow with and a career I could grow into. Um, originally, I was an aircraft electrician and uh, I just wanted something I could do with my hands. Uh, something, a skill that I could learn and uh, something that would develop to maybe a career after the military. That was your original MOS. Uh, you had another one as well, correct? That is correct. I, uh, in 2002, I was moved from being uh, an aircraft electrician to being aviation operations. Um, I was medically reclassed because I could no longer climb on the helicopters. And that was a part of the job that I needed to be able to do. Why were you medically reclassed? The long story short, I landed wrong when we were doing a, a jump during air assault school, which was repelling. I, we were doing what's called fast roping, which is a, a thicker rope and you only use your hands and your feet. And when I landed, I landed on a small mound of dirt and it was not a good thing. So I injured myself and then because I'm stubborn, I did not get it taken care of and then ended up getting to the point that uh, I couldn't do my job anymore. So they, they changed me over to another MOS. And the funny thing is less than a year after that, the MOS of aircraft electrician was gone anyway. They merged it with avionics technician. So there's one that does the job instead of two that do very similar jobs. Once you reclass into that new MOS, how long were you in uh, in the military during that MOS? See, I was there in, I reclassed in 2002 and then I was discharged in 2005, so about three years. Why did that happen? Why did you discharge? Did you just say, you know what, time served, I've got this new skill set, I'm going to get out in the military and I'm going to go use this skill set for something else? Uh, uh, no, I, I did not. I was, I was very disillusioned with the military at that point because I went from E1 to E4 in 19 months, which for anyone not familiar with the military is unheard of. I was on a fast track to being a sergeant. I was on a fast track to just shooting up the ranks like crazy. And then I got hurt. And then all of a sudden this high speed soldier that had done so well for the army was a piece of junk who wasn't going to the promotion board and could not buy anything like that. I was very disillusioned at that point. And when the uh, doctor said in early 2005, hey, we can medically discharge you, I said, okay. If I remember correctly from the last time that we had talked, had you not had a knee surgery while you were in or am I mixing you up with somebody else? You are remembering correctly. Um, I had two knee surgeries. I was, uh, I had one in 2001, and then I had another one in 2004, not long after coming back from um, Operation Iraqi Freedom. So um, 2005, I was dealing with some more issues that uh, I went back to the doctor for. And like I said, he, he proposed the idea of, let's just go ahead and, let's go ahead and discharge you. Um, at that point, 
a first sergeant who he's a very good leader and a man I still respect. He approached me and said, why didn't you ever become a sergeant? Because I've been in for a while. He said, why didn't you ever become a sergeant? And I, I said, honestly, first sergeant, no one would send me to the board because I was injured. They said, we, they can't send me to the board. He said, well, I know that's not the truth. He said, you were lied to. And if he said, uh, I know you're getting medically discharged. If you want to fight that, I will sponsor you to the board. And I said, that's great, but that's too little too late at this point. I'm, I was, like I said, I was very disillusioned with the military. What's going, what's going through your head at this point? What all was going on at that time for you? Um, I honestly believed at this at this point in my uh, in my career. I honestly believed that uh, I'd be able to find some good, meaningful employment after the military. How was that process for you? Um, well, the the process for me after I got out was rough, but it was compounded by two things. First of all, I was the, the process for me getting for me getting out was started in January. And then by May, I was out. So it was a very short process. I thought I had a job secured. I thought everything was set and I was just going to go and get started. Um, that didn't work out. And uh, I went from application to application to application. And I spent a very long time trying to find good, meaningful work. Uh, I also spent a long time dealing with friends and family who were saying, well, if you were to just try harder, you could do it. So that puts it on me to say I wasn't trying hard enough, and that's the reason I wasn't able to find a job. From that, I had a loss of identity. I, I'm not a soldier anymore, so who am I? Uh, because I couldn't find a job, I felt like I wasn't good enough to hack it in the military, so I, apparently I'm not good enough to hack it as a civilian. So that starts to make me feel like I'm an imposter, like I'm a fake or a fraud or something. When you got out, like you mentioned, there was a there was a loss of identity. What did you find yourself doing to kind of uh, to figure out who you really were, what life was going to look like next? I wish I could say that I did well on that particular mission, but I did not. Uh, rather than trying to establish who I was at that point, I just, I kept clinging to, I was a soldier. Hey, I was a soldier. I was a soldier. Like anyone really cared. Um, I fell into the trap a lot of veterans fall into with the sense of entitlement of, wait a minute, everyone told me I'd be, it'd be easy for me to find a job and it's not been. People should be lining up to hire me because I'm a veteran and that just didn't work. Um, rather than having the, the healthy coping mechanism of, okay, this isn't working, let's reposition, I cling to the past, which was not good at all. Um, that kind of led me to a really attitude. caused me to try to take my life and then try again in uh, 2007. Um, during that time, I was able to find somewhat meaningful employment. I went back to work in a factory, if you can call that meaningful. 
and not to take anything away from anyone who works in a factory, but I worked in a factory for 10 years and that was not what I wanted to go back to. Again, disillusioned. It flavored my perspective. It flavored my, my uh, way of seeing what kind of work really was. It wasn't until 2008 when I went back to college that I started to really, really understand and realize where I was best was in an educational uh, background or educational outlook. I loved being in college in 2008. Now, why it took me to 2018 to go back to earn my bachelor's degree, I have no idea. That transition is so incredibly difficult for veterans uh, that that suicide a lot of times seems to be the solution fix the problems and but for you fortunately that's not the case fortunately um you survived uh, multiple suicide attempts and are here today to talk about it what did you do as you were recovering from this mindset of suicide is the way to fix my problems. When I started recovering from that was after a third almost attempt in 2017. And I realized that I could no longer be complacent with these thoughts of, well, maybe the world, the world would be better off if I wasn't here. Um, in 2017, late 2017, I started to realize that there were obstacles that I had to overcome to eliminate those thoughts from me. So I started working on things like imposter syndrome. Who, how do I really see myself? Like I said earlier, I had lost my identity as a soldier and it really damaged the way I saw myself. I couldn't see myself as a soldier anymore because I wasn't, but that didn't mean I had to see myself as a failure. It didn't mean I had to see myself as a fraud. I had to remember what I brought to the table. I had to remember the skills and the benefits that I brought to other people and, and rest in that, the knowledge of I'm not a fake, I'm not a fraud, I'm not a failure, I'm human. I am imperfectly human. And that means that I'm going to make mistakes. That means that I have room to grow. That, but that also means that I'm not a mistake it's, itself. Um, one of the people that I was speaking with on the night of my almost third attempt brought something to me that I still remember to this day. He talked about being a masterpiece. And he said, you're a masterpiece and it's time you started acting like one. And so I tell people today, you're not a, a piece of junk. You're not a broken piece of whatever. You're a masterpiece. Act like a masterpiece because that's exactly who you are. And that's the identity I had to establish for myself. And uh, going forward from there, I had to take care of the anger issues. I had to forgive the me of yesterday from the mistakes that I made and the things I did on purpose because they weren't all mistakes. I wasn't always a good guy. I've done things that I'm very ashamed of, but I forgave myself for those 
not because they were justified, because they weren't, but because I had to learn that whenever you forgive someone, you're reclaiming your peace from them. Because as long as I'm mad at you for something you did 10 years ago, you're off living your own life. And here I am giving up my peace to say, uh, why did she do that? That was just horrible. You don't care. You're, you're living your best life. And I'm the one who's given up my peace. I'm telling you, I had to learn the hard way that your peace is far too valuable to let someone else control it by not forgiving them. Even if that someone else is the you of yesterday. Um, I had to I had to go back and, and reclaim that and forgive myself. Um, there are still times that I think about things I've done in the past and say, why did I do that? Stop. I forgive me of doing that yesterday or five days ago or 10 years ago or whatever. Now don't do that again. Because just because I forgave, if, if you did something to me today and I forgave you, doesn't mean I'm going to give you the license to do it again. It just means I'm not going to hold it over your head. Once again, my peace is too valuable. Forgiving myself of what I did when I was in the army or forgiving myself for the mistakes I made after the army or forgiving myself of the two suicide attempts, I'm not going to go back and do it again, but I'm not holding it over my head. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, and I think, think something that you said is very key is uh, there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation with another person. And like you said, even if that other person is the old you. Forgiveness, I believe, is you you're let when you're when you're dealing with unforgiveness, I think you're you're allowing somebody else basically to live rent-free in your head or live rent-free in your heart. But when you forgive the person, that's between you and God or you and yourself, whatever, you know, because not not everybody, not everybody has any you know, a type of faith in God or anything, but you know, forgiveness is key. So I have to, if, if it's me that I'm, I'm dealing with and struggling with, I have to be able to forgive myself for my past actions and inactions and let it go so I can then in turn move forward with, with life, whatever that looks like. Because um, I believe that's what forgiveness is. I, I believe reconciliation is when I'm reconciliation can include forgiveness where I forgive I forgive myself for the things I did or did not do but also if there's another person involved forgiving that person actions or inactions that they did that impacted me and also now too like you said can we can we build can we build or reestablish a relationship here and that's where that reconciliation comes in sometimes you can reestablish a relationship with the person many times you not it's a, it's a matter of knowing the difference between the two. i need to make sure i understand yeah i need to forgive this person now that i've forgiven this person as i move forward in life how much of a role is this person going to play in my life now and i think that's what you were getting at it, again whether it's you know my old self or somebody else how much of a relationship am I going to allow to happen from here on out with that person to move forward in life and not be carrying extra weight or dead weight or something to that effect? I mean, does that sound about right, like what you're talking about? 
100%. You are spot on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's. Um, there's, there's someone I served with. I'm not going to name his name, although I, I do remember it. There's someone I served with who was the very definition of toxic leadership. And his toxic leadership is, I will admit, part of what disillusioned me to the military. It was so bad. The last time he and I actually spoke was 2003. Um, he left our unit, went to another unit. We were in, in the middle of Iraq and we were like, yeah, Sergeant gets to go home. Yeah, because he was, he, was, he was going to another unit. Um, it was so bad that in 2010, when I saw his name pop up on Facebook as a potential friend, I blocked him. I was like, nope, I ain't dealing with this. And I didn't even think twice about blocking him. And it wasn't until I understood this concept of forgiveness and what it truly meant that I was able to write his name down and write out you know, such and such, I forgive you for the things that you did. It was an act of forgiveness I had to make, even though he'll never hear it. And why will he never hear it? Because I'm going to do what I've suggested for others. You can forgive from a distance. Doesn't mean you have to let that person back into your life. If trust is destroyed, and sometimes it is, you don't have to let that person back into your life. Will he ever be a close friend? No, he will not. I'm not holding it against him. I wish him well. As a matter of fact, I hope he is very successful. To, uh, to borrow the words of Tupac, who I think is still alive, but that's another story. But to borrow his words, I want him to eat well, just not at my table. So, um, you know, I've forgiven him and I've forgiven the past me. The past me is not welcome at my table either. So let me, so let me ask you that, ask you this, um, and not to get too, too deep into, um, a whole nother topic or conversation, but when it comes to it is you made the comment that a lot of times i guess we can um what do you call it it once once trust is broken that relationship is severed um do you ever do you think do you think that relate or relationships that are burnt and severed because of a lack of trust uh because of whatever had happened in the past can at some point be established or or reached or just you know you're done you're not ever coming in again kind of thing do you see what i'm asking yes i do and honestly that is a question i do not know the answer um it's it's the once bitten twice shy concept um can, can it happen? I'm sure it can happen. Uh, and it is very, very difficult to make that happen, but it can. Um, it, trust must be reestablished and it must be reestablished very slowly. 
Um, it's one of those things that you don't want to rush. I, I love to equate things to to cooking and to especially slow cooking because I love the slow cooker. I have two. Uh, about to buy another one, but the uh, the big thing for me is it takes a long time for trust to build just like it takes a long time for a roast to cook in a slow cooker you're not going to if you rush it you're going to ruin it and and going back to the concept of rebuilding from suicide it's going to take you a long time to get your feet back under you you're not going to overcome suicide in a day you're not going to overcome the obstacles that lead to suicidal thoughts in a day. And chances are, along the way, you're going to fall. You're going to mess up. You're going to have, you're going to be dealing with imposter syndrome, which I still do to this day. You're going to be dealing with anger issues, which again, I still do to this day. You're going to be dealing with a horrible attitude problem, which again, you're noticing a trend here. <laughs> These are things I still deal with on a daily basis. I still use the same tools that I used to start with every single day. Put down the imposter syndrome, put down the anger issues, and to change my attitude to one that's positive. I don't always succeed, but I always use the same methods because they work. So um, here's a just just as a thing of clarification, not clarification, but for people who do not know what imposter syndrome is. Uh, what is, how would you define imposter syndrome? Um, imposter syndrome is if you see yourself as a fake or a fraud, or if you are worried about other people seeing you as a fake or a fraud. Um, professionals deal with imposter syndrome a lot. Business owners, deal with it, students deal with it, veterans deal with it. Uh, long story short, if you have a pulse, you're going to deal with it. Because um, it is characterized by statements like, you know, I'm really not all that smart. Or I'm not that special. Anybody could do that. Or, uh, you know, if something good happens to you and you feel you didn't earn it or something bad happens to you, well, I'm just getting what I deserve. These are all signs of imposter syndrome. You feel like everyone else has got their lives together and you're struggling and you shouldn't be. And if you had, and if you weren't a fake, you would. Um, social media feeds into imposter syndrome horribly because everyone has their social media face. Hey, look, I'm going on a trip to Maui this weekend. No, you're not. <laughs> Um, but the general concept is you feel as though you're a fake and it, it impacts the way that you act because you're acting as though you're a fake. You're acting as though you're just trying to cover up being a fake long enough that nobody else will ever know. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's true. And, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I was recording earlier today with somebody and we were talking about that very thing. We weren't, we weren't talking so much about um, imposter syndrome, but we were talking about how there's 
there's you, the person, and then there's you, the persona that you like to project out there. And we were talking about how we would much rather get to know people like as a person instead of the persona that you're trying to project out there for others to see. Um, yes. And, and like you said, social media is so big in aiding in creating that persona or that imposter syndrome that it, many times I think there are people who really don't know what uh, about themselves, what is the real me and what is not and that social media doesn't help so if we could just if we could just step back and be honest and be real with ourselves and say you know this is who i really am not that you're going to tell the whole world on social media hey i have this issue and that issue but to be able to honestly say yeah this, this is me i'm not skilled in this area i would like to be and if you can help me get the skills that i need for that area great if you can't okay that's fine but just to be the real and authentic you is something so foreign to people that we end up comparing this person, my persona against yours. And then that imposter syndrome gets bigger and worse because we don't know what's real anymore. And so, yeah, that, I mean, it's just, why do we do that? <laughs> one one of the things something. that you brought up I really want to I really want to focus on because you're talking about asking for help. Imposter syndrome will keep you from asking for help. Um, if you do if you feel like you're a fake, if you feel like okay, let's put it like this. If you had somebody that was had never been to, to medical school, never been to college, never been to any, you know, anything past high school, and that person went to a doctor and said, would you show me how to perform surgery? The doctor's going to say, go away. You're crazy. I mean, any good doctor would, because that person is a fake. They don't need to be learning how to do surgery to go through the proper channels, go to college, go to medical school, earn it like everyone else did. If you feel like you're a fake, you're going to feel like that kid and well, I'm, I'm not going to ask for help because, because no, I have to do this myself. Because if I ask for help, then I'm a fake. If I ask for help, I'm a fraud. No one want to help me. And so it leads to a lot of what the term I've read is soloism. I have to go it alone. And also perfectionism. I have to get it right. And those two work hand in hand to perpetuate the concept of imposter syndrome and if I was not a fraud, if I was not a fake on this, then I wouldn't need the help. And that's, there's nothing that could be further from the truth. You're, you're, you're human and allow yourself to be imperfectly human. Even stuff that you already knew. I have a traumatic brain injury. I tend to forget stuff. Um, on my job, I'll go back to my boss and ask questions from time to time. And a couple of times, a couple of times I heard, but once you taught that in training, I have a I have a brain injury. I forget, and I've ex I've explained that to the point that they understand I'm not being an idiot asking these questions. I literally, legitimately, cannot remember, and if I felt like a fraud, I would just end up doing it wrong because I don't know, and I'm not going to ask. 
So that imposter syndrome, if, if you're talking about a job where I work with potential students for, for a trade school, nothing, you know, no harm, no foul. If you're talking about something that, that leads to life and death, oh yeah, there's a big problem there. And that's one of the reasons, because people aren't asking for help with, the, with those life and death struggles, that we see our suicide rates going through the roof and they're not getting any better. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you said that. So with 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 that piece of actually having a having a brain injury, many times with a brain injury, you, it's not always something that you just heal from or you've overcome and it over time is healed and no longer exists. It it exists forever for the rest of your life. So it's a matter of not trying to eradicate a, a brain injury. It's a matter of how can I live the rest of my life with this brain injury? How can I how can I continue to move forward um, with this obstacle that I have? And I have a good friend of mine always likes to use this one particular an analogy. When she works with people, she'll tell them imagine that you know, imagine you go to combat you lose your leg uh you only have one leg now but your life isn't over you get a prosthetic leg and you can walk around now with this prosthetic leg it uh it's still not your real leg you're still missing a leg and you have to get used to getting that leg fit for you and learning how to walk with it and run with it or whatever you end up doing with it. Um, but it getting that prosthetic leg can be a means of learning how to adapt with a missing leg. Um, your leg's not gonna grow back. It's not like a lizard's tail, this re regenerate itself. So what are some things for you that you feel like you've done to help you um, when, when you see that because of uh, injuries and illnesses that you've had to implement to over help you live as close to a normal life you can for you? The first one would be routines. I had to establish and maintain routines. It wasn't just a situation of you know, at about the same time every day, I do, no. Literally, um, I have medicine that I take for, <coughs> excuse me. I have medicine that I take for a thyroid issue, then I also have blood pressure medicine. I take those the first thing every morning before I do anything else. Before I go to the bathroom, I wake up, I take my medicine. It's at the same time. Not necessarily the same time of the day, but the same time relative to when I wake up. First thing I do, take the medicine. For things that I cannot do routine, I take incredible amounts of notes. Um, on my computer screen, I have sticky notes galore. When it comes to how I do the job, or they have, they have, I have a different computer because they sent me one. Um, I do, I have sticky notes on that screen all over the place that remind me of when you do this, you do this. So literally taking notes and and having the reminders. Um, if I can't, 
do it on a schedule. And if I can't uh, take notes to do it, then I ask someone, hey, I need you to remind me to do this. Um, always go to someone with a better memory than you, as I have learned the hard way. But ask for help. Um, the simple fact is, I've, it, it took me a long time to understand that I could ask for help to remember stuff. Because the first couple of people I asked were like, can't you remember it? I thought you were a grown man. And that just feeds into it. I, um, I had to understand, I had to remember the fact that I am still human. I'm not only, I'm not only human, I'm imperfectly human. I have scars, I have things that have dealt that I've dealt with that have taken the memory from me. So I have to ask for help. And that's that's difficult, but it's doable. So, you know, schedules, notes, and ask for help. Those are the three things I do. First thing I would say is if you are thinking that the world would be better without you here. I'm here to tell you that's a lie. The world is a better place because you are here. You don't know what I've done. No, no, I don't. I don't know what you've done, but I know what I've done. I know that I have lived a life that I am not proud of. I know that I have done some things that I look back on and say, what was I thinking? But I also know that just like you, the world is a better place because I am here. Because we bring something to the table that no one else brings. You bring something to the table that I could never bring. And if you are not here, we miss out. If you're thinking, I'm just gonna check out because the world would be better without me here. No, the world is better because you're here. You're a masterpiece. You're not trying to earn the title of masterpiece. You've already got it. Live like you've got it. Be the masterpiece that you already are. I would love it if you would come to my website to check it out. Yes, a little cheap plug here. James McNeil author. That has literally everything that you need to get in touch with me. It has my Facebook page. I believe I've got my Twitter account on there. And then I've also got the blog that I post to twice a week. And you can purchase Finding Your Personal Mission, which is a book about transforming your mind to overcome suicidal thoughts. I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a professional. And I didn't even stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. I'm just a guy who went through these exact problems and overcame them, and I'm still overcoming them. And I want to share with you how I did it. That's what I would like to share. I think that's awesome. Even the Holiday Inn. Um, <laughs> and, and uh, for the people who are listening, if you go back to the, uh, the episode title and description of this episode, I have the website and LinkedIn profile on there of James, so you can contact him. 
Uh, yeah, for those of us who are not good at remembering, okay, this is this is Neil, and here's his website. Um, for, for those of us who can't remember things, it's going to be in the of the podcast. <laughs> for those of us who can't remember awesome. things very well, you are my people. Well, I'm glad you got to re-record today. Uh, yeah, no kidding, right? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm glad we got to re-record this. It's great. You and me both. It's been saying for the last little bit that your network bandwidth is low, so I'm hoping this comes through for you. Yeah, it, it, it sucks. <laughs> it does. I don't know why it's so awful. Um, well, I, I mean, it's just, I think it's twofold. One, um, so I, I, I think part of it is that my mom has, they have MT, um, everything, AT&T, U-verse and all that. And it's just, it's not the best of services, especially when there's um, not many satellites in the area. Or not satellites, but towers. Um, and then they have a lot um, to it too. Um, I wish that there was a way, I, I, I use the Wi-Fi here, but I wish there was a way that I could actually plug into the connection so it wouldn't be as um, shady or shaky. But it is what it is. One thing, um, one thing I did do was talk to the people at the local library, once a lot of this COVID stuff is done and out of the way, um, they said that there's a, they have a room, like a meeting room at the library that people can reserve. I think you can, a person can reserve it like maybe twice a month. So what I'm gonna try to do once that, once that becomes a thing is I'm gonna try to schedule um, recordings that happen on whatever days I can schedule that that facility for um and just and just record from there because yeah it stinks it's all good but what do i know i just work here hey i was uh yeah i barely do that <laughs> um what i was gonna uh also tell you i apparently i didn't include it on the email i sent because some people have asked so and i, and I but i'll still resend it out as people who said that they were going to, that they were willing to write a blog or share a blog. Um, yes. What I'm gonna speak, what I'm gonna say, self, uh, tell people is, after people send me their first blog and I post their first blog on the website, I will give people who are gonna regularly post to the blog, so that when they feel like posting something, they can go ahead and do it. You know, people won't have permissions to edit anything. They'll just have permissions to post a new blog post. 